Greetings in the name of the Lord. Welcome. Grace be with you. Peace. Shalom. Whatever greeting works. I am Cullen Cressman, and this is my attempt at a podcast. Hello, and welcome to our first episode covering Timothy. This is Breaking Theology. I'm Cullen Cressman. This podcast is designed to just walk through scripture. So if this is your first time, glad to have you with us. We're just going to be going through one chapter at a time. Every episode is named to correlate with the chapter of the Bible that we're working through that day. And we're just going to dig in. The idea behind the title of this podcast is that our theology is going to break out of us. The way that we live is our theology. But also when we dig into the word of God, it is that foundation stone. It is that rock, that truth, that when we come to it with our life and how we've been living, it should continually be breaking us. And so we should be coming back to scripture all the time to reflect and to hear what God has to say to us. We're going to be covering both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. But to get us started, I want to talk about both of the books and kind of where they are placed and occasionally I'll talk about the pastorals and by that I mean 1st Timothy, Titus, and 2nd Timothy. And the reason I say that is just because of the uh, the collection together and talking about dating and, and time of Paul's life and what he is looking for. So to understand before we start going verse by verse in the, the chapters, to think about dating when was first and second timothy written there's a few ways that we can figure that out and a few conversations that scholars have on when this would happen and it affects a few things so for example when you think of paul getting to rome at the end of the book of acts and then you have him going there for a trial are these letters coming right after that trial? Is that the the trial that's mentioned in 2 Timothy? Or is this a trial afterwards? And that affects how we view if Paul made it to Spain or not. But also, if you're thinking of multiple trials and datings, things like that, how do we reconcile 1 Timothy mentioning Macedonia, but then also seeing that, you know, saying that Paul went to Spain? How could he do both of those things within a certain uh, time constraint? All of that, I'll give you a, a basic answer that will help you out. I believe that First and Second Timothy and Titus, all of the pastorals, were written by Paul. And what you're looking at is the, the last, uh, not necessarily with First Timothy and Titus, but Second Timothy are the last words of Paul right before his death. And most likely his death happened around 64 AD under the persecution of Nero. And so this would be a few years removed from when Paul first got to Rome. And most likely what happened is that Paul gave his defense. uh, And it could even be that he didn't give a defense at all, that his trial just never happened. He was finally released. Whatever the case may be, it's most likely that what you see mentioned in 2 Timothy is a new trial because Christians are being targeted by Nero and so he is giving a defense and the reason why he is 
a little bit downtrodden is because he's realizing that this is truly going to be the end. So that is why 2 Timothy has a little bit of a different tone. But 1 Timothy and Titus are both written to close companions of Paul. And 1 Timothy, what we want to dig into today, think about how this connection between Timothy and Paul. Right from the beginning of the book, he calls him a son in the gospel, a son in the faith. And so he actually says, my legitimate child, my true child in the faith. So he sees Timothy as a close companion, but also not just uh, something that he feels in relation, but is we can observe as people remove 2,000 years, we can observe the close relationship within ministry because not only do we have these letters that are written specifically to Timothy, but Timothy is a companion of Paul in other letters. He is, in some sense, a co-author. Paul will introduce his letters and say, from Paul and Timothy. And so, that is a, a close relationship. We see these letters that we have from Paul, that he is always has Timothy with him. He is a, a confidant, a, a younger minister, somebody that he sees as a son. And so, when we get into 1 Timothy, we're seeing an admonition, but also uh, setting up a young minister, his son in the gospel, that he is able to instruct him, give him some direction. This could be that he is trying to set him up as an authority figure, but we also see that he gives him specific tasks, things that need to be done, but he's really just directing him, and this is why these letters are referred to as the pastorals. He's giving him direction on how uh, somebody should conduct ministry. Church has been going on for a while. We do believe that we're led by the Spirit. And Paul definitely believes that church communities are led by the Spirit. But you see some places in Timothy and also Titus where he gives some direction on the, uh, some things within a local community of how things can be done in order and how to safeguard from certain heresies and different things like that based on the character of a minister. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and we're just going to dive right in. As I mentioned, he calls him a legitimate son, and he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Okay, so focus on that word charge. I'm reading in the ESV, and so charge He's going to come back to that a few times within this chapter, and that kind of gives you a full idea. That's what you always want to look for is references, reference points within a chapter. And so to get this whole argument, he's going to come back around. We're going to see what Paul is concerned with and what he is charging Timothy to do. So he says, you need to, Timothy, I'm giving you this charge so that you can charge certain persons. Okay, so he's telling them to not teach a different doctrine not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So I want to unpack this a little bit. This is towards the end of Paul's ministry. Not quite the end like 2 Timothy, but this is getting towards the end. And this is also on the second half of the first century. And there appears to have already been 
a certain type of desire when he says myths and endless genealogies, those kinds of things. And here Paul is warning against those types of views. They have warped religion into something, specifically this religion. They've warped the view, the faith in Christ Jesus into something that it was not. And so we can apply this in in various ways, but definitely on the base level, what we'll see today in this first chapter is the goal cannot be lost. When we are talking about being a minister, we're talking about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't be lost. We are supposed to be stewards of the faith that has been given to us. We cannot just entertain ourselves in arguments about scripture, entertain ourselves about uh, going trends, myths, all that kind of stuff. And so the way that he articulates this, he locks it into chapter 1, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So that, verse 5, is going to be the heart of this chapter, that he's saying, this is what I'm wanting you to tell them. Don't veer off into distractions and other things that take away from what we're arguing is love. So he says that uh, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And so here we want to try to set up two opposites in our head so we can think of a balance. Here Paul is talking about uh, somebody who makes confident assertions. They think they know the law, but they don't actually understand it. And he also is uh, associating them with vain discussions. So we don't want to be somebody, if, if our goal, our charge is love, we don't want to be somebody that gets involved in conversations that doesn't actually do good for the regular person. It needs to be practical. It needs to be something that gets boots on the ground, something that we can act on, that we can help other people. We are called to be ministers. So vain discussions, uh, if you are having vain discussions... You are misunderstanding the law. On the other hand, he says that they don't understand the law, which would assume the opposite, that we should, if we are operating in love, we should work to understand the law. We can't be clueless. We can't be somebody that thinks, oh, well, I'm just going to have a a wonderful relationship with me and Jesus and it'll all work out. But no, we are supposed to be teachers. Paul is simply saying to protect against a certain type that we should understand the law. Here, these people that have vain discussions, they don't understand the law. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So I had a question about how does one know if they use it lawfully, and I'll do my best to explain that. That the law is not laid down, Paul says, for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. Okay, so replace lawless with uh, godless. Think of it in in those terms. And so this vice list that he gives at the end of 9, 10, and 11, Paul, he does this a lot. So you see it in Galatians. He he enjoys making a a vice list of things that are, are wrong or of the world. And so he says that the law was given for the godless. And so that's where you can say, it's not that the law is going to bring about righteousness. God is the one who gives grace. He is the one who saves us, and we are saved 
by faith, not of anything that we do, but we do receive the law. The law is good because it teaches us, as Paul says. So we have, uh, we have to approach the law not as a negative, but Paul is saying here that the law is supposed to be used for the godless, for the lawless, the people who are living according to a worldly lifestyle, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, those that strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, excuse me, and who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Okay, so he gives this, this whole vice list to make the point that if you misunderstand the law, the point of it, so remember his charge in verse 5 is love out of a pure heart. The goal of using the law, uh, of having what, what has been passed down from Moses, the desire of God's heart, it's not so that we can get down into vain discussions, but it's actually to guide those that are godless. It's to guide those that are lost in these practices because they're going to be steered out of it. They're going to be shown the light the right way. But if you get bogged down in vain discussions, you're not going to be able to love anybody. You're not going to help anybody. And so where uh, this really takes a, a turn, gives a clear picture is verse 12. And so I want to walk you through this. and I'm going to do my best to illustrate this without a, a Word document that you can look at. But if it'll help you, get out a piece of paper and write down some things here. Paul begins to give his testimony in verse 12. But what's really cool about this this testimony is it seems to correlate with what he just charged Timothy. He's told them, uh, told him that he needs to be watching out for a certain type of teacher. And he says, our charge is about love. That's what he says in verse 5. And so I want to give you a chart, and then we'll read through it, and you can see uh, kind of how it plays out. So this chart is going to correlate with verses 12 through 17. So in one column, write 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Just write those down all in one column. And then in a second column, write 5, 9 through 11, 5, 6 through 9, 5, praise. Okay, so I'll repeat that. 1, 9 through 11, 5, 6 through 9, 5, praise. So the way it should look is that 1 is across from 12, 9 through 11 is across from 13, 5 is across from 14, and so on and so forth. Now I want you to see that to visualize how Paul's testimony continually goes back to that point of love. It's continually referring back to the heart of the matter. And so all of these verses that I gave you, these these two columns, the testimony that Paul gives, he shows how he actually fit the category. He was the person that uh, he's warning Timothy against. He gives very practical testimony of his own life, of how he was lost in vain discussion. And so we read this passage a lot of times of thinking, you know, and it's not altogether wrong, but when we talk about Paul being a, a chief of sinner, those kinds of things, 
we are correct, but Paul's also using it to make a point for Timothy. So when we read through this, pay attention to those echoes back to the statements he has just made previously. So I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And so that's verse 5, love. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, excuse me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so where he says amen right there, that's his testimony of showing those things, the vain discussions, who he was, how he approached things. And so to come back to our earlier statement of what is uh, using the law in the right way. So we don't want to use it incorrectly. And one of the reasons uh, Paul gets into a lot of discussions about the law is his concern, his own testimony of how he was viewing it and his reactions to Christians is at that time, there is what uh, scholars talk about, and this is your fancy word for the day, it's called ethnocentrism. Okay, so think of the idea of ethnicity and think of central. Okay, so ethnocentrism. And the reason I'm introducing this to you is because it's a very prominent thing in Paul. You can use it not just here, but also within his other letters when you're reading that Paul is pushing against this idea that the law is pushing simply for uh, an ethnic group alone. That's why he argues for the Gentiles. He is an apostle for the Gentiles. That he's realizing that his vain discussions, his arguments over the law, have got him so uh, focused internally on the law and on the people, quote-unquote, the people of the law, that he's missed the work of Jesus. He's missed the point of what Jesus is doing in the world. And so how do we use the law wrongfully? It's if we limit the law, and it, the law is not able to save us in and of itself, but being people of the law put us in the position to receive the next move from God, which was Jesus Christ. And so the law, that's why Paul talks about it in other places where he says it was like our guardian, our school teacher, some translations say, that it brought us to the point where we could be there. And so Paul's telling Timothy very practically be careful of these people that are getting lost in other philosophies of the day and missing the point that has been there the whole time. And then he concludes the chapter by saying, This charge, okay, so there we're back around. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, we don't know uh, exactly what kind of prophecy this would be about. It could be a prophecy about his ministry, about his leadership, but this is more, I would say, a, a point of encouragement that Paul is making here to his son. That this is a, 
a time that he is encouraging him, he just gave him a task to call out uh, teachers that are doing the wrong thing. And so he's encouraging him that you should, you should do this with faith, do this with love, knowing that you were called to this point. Don't engage in this battle wrongfully, but do it through faith. And so even back to the point that he just taught him is that the, the main thing is what's here, the gospel. The war isn't won by pointless discussions. The war is going to be won by Jesus. And so holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so Paul here has made the same, uh, he's made a correlation between blaspheming and vain discussions, these pursuits of myths and genealogies, these conversations that lead somebody away from the heart of the gospel, of putting uh, feet to the gospel, so to speak. He correlates his action towards these two individuals is what he actually tells the church in Corinth. He says to turn him over to Satan when there was adultery, uh, incestuous adultery going on in the church of Corinth. So he is here Put this false teaching, these pursuits on the same level as incestuous adultery. And so we shouldn't miss this point. It's very significant to Paul that we keep the main thing, the main thing, the that love is that number one charge, that we are sinners saved by grace, not to be lost by all these different distractions of the world of our time, but that we should be doing these things. We should be waging a good warfare. And this is also a fun note for us that Paul is mentioning these personal names. He's giving this illustration to explain to, to Timothy, or, or we can see that he's explaining to Timothy personal information. He's giving him uh, ideas. And also we should understand this as we're reading. If we're thinking of ourselves being Timothy, we should understand that Paul isn't just saying this because it's an opinion, but he has here two individuals that he's observed as illustrations. I'm inclined to believe that the inclusion of the the two names, the examples, is a way for Paul to uh, urge someone by past examples. You can see the seriousness of the matter. Paul is not just saying, here's a thought I have, but he's saying, I've actually lived this, I've seen it, and I've turned them over. And so we'll actually see a testimony in uh, in Second Timothy, but that's the conclusion of the first chapter, and we move on into the rest of the letter in chapter two, where Paul is going to pick up this point. But that's where we're starting here: is Paul's goal with Timothy? He's giving him instruction. He's giving him some some instruction of people to watch out for, personalities to watch out for, in a sense, telling him you're on your own now. You are a minister, encouraging him, saying, don't forget the prophecies that were made about you. Do things in the right way, but know that you are called and that you are going to be doing some hard things, and I have some instructions for you. I have a charge for you to charge to other people. So get ready for our next chapter, 
And if you have any questions leading up to it, you can send me a message. I do my best to answer all those questions. Anytime somebody sends me an email or if you message me on social media, I would love to hear what you have to say, thoughts that you have. This is Breaking Theology, and I'm Cullen Cressman. We're digging into First and Second Timothy.